This is Royal Tellus Coaching, and you're listening to the Coaching Excellence Series. Perfectionism, we all struggle with it at times. Some have the compulsive need to drink eight glasses of water a day, some to read each email before noon, and others to assign yourself more projects than you can possibly complete. Today, I talk with Megan Goring about how perfectionism keeps us from becoming holistic innovators. This woman is accomplished. She has led teams with Google's G Suite, activated various entrepreneur endeavors, and now serves as a startup executive coach. And today, she will share what holds people back from building amazing teams, the habit trap, and pitfalls of perfection. Let's take a listen. Hey everyone, glad to have you join us for another webinar where we have Coach Megan here to share a bit about incorporating holistic innovation in startups. Megan is amazing. She had led team within Google's G Suite, activated various entrepreneur endeavors, and served now as a startup executive coach, a brilliant walking think tank of strategy. Megan will share on how coaching has radically changed her life as well as the lives of the clients. But first, would you mind telling a little bit more about who you are, Megan? Sure. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for having me. And it is such a pleasure to be in this experience with Royal Telos, which I am deeply obsessed with. So thank you all for joining us both here today. Um, some things that I can tell you about me. I live in the Seattle area now, which I really love. I have moved my life to be more in tune with nature. And a couple of the things that are really important to me are innovation. I love innovation methods. I love human-centered design. Um, and then melding that with inclusion, another really important value for me um, and making life really work for people so that our, our transformations are more sustainable. That's like, that's what it all comes down to is can we make the world better, but can we do it for as long as it actually takes to sustain that kind of impact? So that's kind of what gets me up in the morning. Well, I'm maybe just get right into it. So holistic innovate. Okay. Can you tell us what are, what's like a belief people have about holistic or creating, build, creating and building great things? Like what have you seen? When it comes to building great teams, especially in a startup environment, a lot of people think they need to follow someone else's playbook that is going to involve having it all figured out at the get-go and also leading like someone else. And there is a whole lot of effort that we put in to being sure we're ready when this idea of ready actually comes from what we've seen other people do, which has something to do with what we want to disrupt. So I think those are the biggest limiting beliefs. It's going to be hard. I'm not going to be a match for what I've seen out there um, in the field already working and that something else is needed besides what I already could create from within myself. Those are the biggest things that hold people back from getting started in building an amazing team. Okay, well, yeah, I totally hear you. Um, I know I've faced that myself when where I started an entrepreneur endeavor. Uh, well, along those lines, can you share any examples as possible solutions or methods that will implement, but they're not effective? Ooh, like what people do that doesn't really work, like what we try to do that doesn't actually work out. Oh my goodness. Yes, I can. One is a habits trap. So I think there's a myth in this time of self-care. Self-care is really important and, and like nutrition matters, sleep matters, these things, hydration matter. But I think there can be a myth that if our habits are not at 10 out of 10, that we will just never be able to bring our best selves 
to whatever we're doing. So self-care sometimes can become a barrier for people getting started in a gentle way because we wait, you know, we're, you know, we have to figure out our running habit first. We have to figure out our sleep habit first. Or people will think, understandably, that having a family can be a huge barrier or having a relationship you love can be a huge barrier. Um, And so we wait, yeah? But the waiting game can actually create more stress, which fuels that cycle that just needs unlimited self-improvement before we ever actually get to go after our dream. And I think we think about that as readiness. So that's one thing to that I, I always kind of look for with the with a gentle ear is the kind of high performance state that we think we have to reach and all the investments we make in that before we actually, sometimes I call it our inner beginner, before we embrace that we get to make space for this inner beginner who doesn't have to have it figured out. And, you know, we get to actually work on those things on the path as we're doing, as we're moving closer to what we love bit by bit, but the incremental approach can be really great there. I think another another thing that happens often is we go looking for methods. We go looking for thought leaders. We go looking for consultants um, who will tell us the tactics and tell us the rule book and the playbook of here's how we get Facebook ads up and running and here's how we get leads and here's how we get customers and here's how we raise funding. And so you know, people end up investing and becoming these very deadly tacticians who can go out and they have all these different skills of executing in different ways, but it can become really hard to integrate those in a way that actually feels like you and like your path. And sometimes when you're in like a tactical learning situation, like you've got a certain consultant or you signed, you know, you signed up for a certain program. If you start talking about that fit, it goes pretty badly the way the program is, is set up. And I think that can cause people to stop and to say, you know what, I'm not cut out for this, or I just can't do what I have to do. And I would just want people to know that if you find yourself really focused on execution and building your execution skills early, but you're just, you can't get yourself to do it, definitely doesn't mean it's over for you. And there are so many ways that you can take a step back from it. It can, it can be, I'm going to use the word gentle today again and again. I know it. It can be gentler than that. And it can also feel more natural than that. We can start from our strengths and start from where we are in a good way and build positively from that place rather than just kind of feeling like we're constantly failing at executing the thing that's the only way to go. So those are some common pitfalls. So good, so neat, so rich, and so accurate. So that is the common tip that you see. You have seen that works then, right? What does it actually mean to use a holistic and innovative approach? And what have you seen happen when teams and individuals start using this approach instead? Great question. So I love the idea of holistic innovators. I think innovation is really any time that we depart from a norm or from business as usual. I think for me, innovation is always about a journey. And it usually is like the founder's journey or the leader's journey. But usually that journey is inspired by a journey that we want to make available to other people or that we want to bring others along with for the ride. And so that's the innovation piece. And 
One of the things that I have seen in my time building accelerators and working in tech and working directly with and in startups and building my own company is that uh, especially for recovering overachievers or hopefully future recovering overachievers, it can end up feeling pretty exhausting to try and brute force the difference that we're trying to make, especially at scale. We live in a time when we are talking all the time about moonshots, especially in technology and tech startups, exponential technology, exponential impact. And we really do live in a time where our tools make that stuff way more possible than it ever was before. We can chain things together, even with no code, very, very quickly compared to 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Come on, it's there's so much that's possible. Uh, for me, holistic innovation is and being and really thinking of yourself as a holistic innovator is about keeping in mind that you are more than just that difference that you are out to make for the world. And for some people that are very motivated by impact or by altruism or kind of the social and entrepreneur type, that can be a really hard thing to justify making room for early in the process. But when the wheels start to fall off midway through, if we're not doing that, it's kind of it's kind of the grind, you know, and that grind can make us feel like we're choosing between our impact and our own weakness. And that sucks. We do not want people there. We do not want the world's miracles that are in progress right now facing that rock versus a hard place transition. So for me, when I get to work with social entrepreneurs or any any entrepreneur, any founder who is motivated by an impact story that is larger than ourselves and our pocketbook and our own reputation, when it's about something bigger than that, we I've kind of worked with some colleagues to create this kind of three-layer approach. It's like to be holistic means to think about you and yourself. It's not the only thing we think about, but what is that, what is that internal cord? between you and you that allows you to come forward and lead like yourself and refill your cup over time. It's less like superwoman or going into superhero mode all the time. Avatar state for my avatar fan friends out there. It's less like going into that. And it's, it's more like reconnecting with the things that source your passion and having those actually have a place in your life, keeping those identities around you as you go on your founder journey. And there's a balance there. And we, we move into that. We don't have to know it at the outset, but we find ways to keep those really important parts of ourselves in our lives so that resilience is natural. It's not a fight. So that's the self layer. The second one on when we think of holistic innovation is you and your team and the people around you. If it's your first founder journey, a lot of the times this looks like, which friends do I bring with me? Who do I recruit for my early team? Who do I need to know who I don't know yet? Questions about how do I hire, when, hiring criteria, like who is going on this journey from inside of the team? And there are, you know, you can, there's so many different ways of hiring, but keeping connection to yourself and your values and the values of the company, that stuff can get really heady. Um, but when we think about holistic innovation, we end up thinking about different people's strengths, making a a diverse team, not the way we typically think about diversity, but just it's balanced. It has people who are wired so differently than you who definitely make your life easier. Um, and then building an environment that brings out a life and to life and creating boundaries where it's not the right fit so that you feel confident in your own leadership as you build that team. 
that's kind of what we step into there. Um, and the third layer is the systems layer of holistic innovation. We are, you know, it's a disruptive innovation era now. So we're constantly disrupting all these things. We're getting disruptive. We got COVID out there. Um, a lot going on in the systems layer. But founders encounter so many different systems through each and every day. Your funding system. Are you taking an investment? From what sources? How does that all work? Your financial system, both for your company and for your household, as well as the people systems that you are interacting with, how you're recruiting engineers, how your people are interacting with their families and talking about your brand when they go home, kind of customers that you draw. There's so many different systems that founders need to walk through. And so when you talk about holistic innovation, you know, a, a product that was so successful at getting to market was Google Glass, right? The very beginning of this kind of tech-enabled interactive world. But while Google Glass is like one of the products I admire the most in terms of quick, rapid prototyping, innovation, being scrappy, being a big company, getting to market, you know, it really failed for the consumer market when people at bars and restaurants said, I don't want to be recorded. And that was part of the system that was invisible around that product. And that was a huge surprise for the team. So when we think about holistic innovation, that systems layer invites us to look at those different people systems that we're interacting with in like a calm way coming in so that you're not staying up all night going, oh my God, something's going to go wrong on launch. How is this going to be received? Feeling paralyzed because your voice or your brand can really polarize people. Instead of feeling stopped by those things and instead of being afraid of that polarization or afraid of something that you're going to miss, we can actually work together to map out those different communities that you care about and communities that you might not be aware of yet. I think the coaching process for founders is a really great place for founders to explore what might come up as a fear or a worry, but actually get to go and find the wisdom in that fear. So that's that's what holistic innovation is all about, is considering those different levels and then almost letting yourself succeed across those different areas so your impact is sustainable and so that your end result feels like you in your leadership. So good, truly holistic, that self-peace and then system all together. Well, I'm sure even these examples that you've provided, they seem completely really sound and effective, but why, what have you seen um, What are some reasons people might resist being innovative in any of these levels? So there's kind of two layers of this. First off is when we hear about innovation, there is some context for that term that I think really shrinks what is possible for founders right now from really diverse backgrounds. We think of innovation of having to do only with science and technology. A lot of people think that if it's an innovative product, it's going to be tech enabled. They think you're going to have astrophysicists and laser scientists and AI guru, like machine learning gurus, like up and creating the whole back end. And that's that's where innovation actually takes place. But in working with some of the founders of Google X and in my experience, kind of just playing with their methods and really learning how the laser scientists at Google X work. The place where innovation happens is much less a matter of the back end, like wizardry and technology. And it's so much more around human behavior. 
people experience an innovation when something in technology or another solution causes their life to work differently. And the way that that, that Google X, which is Google's like coolest innovation and think tank lab, the way that they thought about this is innovation in terms of behavior change. Like when someone changes their behavior, their life is changing. And when I, you know, kind of going through the process of learning that, I think that's really extraordinary. Uh, and so one of the things that I think is a misgiving about innovation or that people kind of resist around it is we think, oh, well, I'm not that good at math or I didn't go to grad school for algorithms or cloud computing. So I guess I'm more of this kind of person, or maybe I'm going to run a service business, or I just, I couldn't really do that. There's a lot of stuff out there about having a technical co-founder, about having to have a co-founder in the first place, uh, that, that, that that's what it takes to build a, an exponential impact company, which, you know, we get into this thinking, it's the only kind of company is one that's venture backed, which great to get venture capital. It's not the only model. And it's definitely not the only way to change lives, change business, change the world. So I think the biggest barriers there or like resistance we have is like, oh, you know, we say I'm not creative. Oh, I don't, I don't really know about that kind of stuff. But it's really remarkable kind of taking the method from Google X and from their early stage process. And I think I probably sat with a thousand people, maybe more like veterans, Girl Scouts, you know, college students, community college students, the same method. It is, it is just based on figuring things out and experimenting real time. It's like a second grade classroom. Like anyone can really do it. And I would say that actually the most valuable innovations in this next 10 years will come from people who haven't been trained to think of themselves as innovators. They're people who know what other people are dealing with. They can be problem experts. So if there is something inside of people that says, I kind of want to make a change here, I think the resistance is telling yourself, I'm not the one. It's going to take someone else. It's going to take something else. Or people getting scared that doing it their way will not be successful. When really it's, it's a matter of experimentation. It's a matter of how often you look back at what you're up to and how it compares to what you thought would happen. And so if we embrace the learning of it, we actually can become beginners and go so many new places and take the world so many new places that is really linked to the values that are the most important to us. So anyone can do it, but you have to believe it. You have to be willing to be bad at it first. And if you are, we can, we can go there. Yeah. That's why I'm sure that you've seen so many people experimenting and noodling around and then getting into these blocks mentally of just wanting to give up altogether or being incredibly frustrating. Well, which leads me to kind of like a nice segue. What caused you to decide to become an ICF credentialed coach? Because you have so much experience. You've consulted, you led teams. It seems kind of an interesting thought to then go out and join our program, Rotella's Coach Training Program, and becoming an ICF credentialed coach. I love coaching for the impact that it can create. I'm like, I'm all about impact. I mean, impact and living a good life and, you know, being a good person, all those things are important, but I love coaching for the impacts that it can create. And I have really benefited from extraordinary coaches, people who really didn't buy my storylines, who didn't who didn't buy particularly my fears, particularly my limitations and my blockers. And I had the opportunity to work with coaches who 
whose whole mode was standing in a future fulfilled. Like, what is that future that you are out to create? And who just held the space for me to act from that place again and again and again. I think it's one thing to, you know, aspire to be somewhat like a leader that you can envision. It's one thing to aspire to run a company. And it's another thing to wake up in the morning and to act from that place. Some people call this acting as if. It's not fake it till you make it, but it's acting as if that person, that vision of yourself is equally real to the one that you are in the habit of expecting to show up when you show up. And that really affected me. I was willing to run experiments that, you know, from coaching, coaching engagements and from working with coaches that I was absolutely certain would not work. But I gave it up and I said, okay, let's try it out. And I just, the the results, the results boggled my mind in a way that I just had never heard about before. You know, so many consulting, you try and increase people's results. Oh yeah, you want to make more income. Like there's results that you'll go after, but there, it was just a different experience in coaching to get to create the result out of, out of nowhere, create something that you're into, have that experiment emerge, take the action and just blow your mind again and again on results that you've never heard of. And I think that's really, really relevant for founders because part of being a founder and an entrepreneur is creating something that hasn't existed yet. So you don't, you know, if, if there was a program to help you do exactly that thing, then it would not be, it wouldn't be a new endeavor, it wouldn't be on the edge. So I love coaching because it allows people to go places that have never been gone before. That's like one of the big things. You can make it up. You can make up the idea of a kind of life that you've never seen, but some part of you dreams of. And then we just end up creating the pathway to see about getting there. And out of a coaching-based leadership conversation, I ended up raising six figures for a nonprofit that I just was, did not even envision before these two, three conversations took place. And it happened and it closed and it was crazy and it kind of changed everything. So that's one reason of why coaching. And the second reason is in working with founders, mindset makes a huge difference. Not mindset like, are we saying should like, you know, self-talk matters, that's a piece of it. But I think the one thing that really shocked me and working with founders at all different stages of venture capital funding and funding levels is someone could feel like their road is over. Like someone could really feel like it is over for their company and they have failed if they have $3.75 in the bank, if they have $375,000 in the bank, if they are $3.75 million in debt. Like that will be different people's idea of where failure is happening. And I just think that's amazing. I think that's very surprising, but I think it also has led a lot of people to quit because of certain doom. They think there is no way out. And I think coaching is the place where you discover that the things that you're failing at actually may be a matter of perspective to some extent. The ball may not actually be dead in play. It actually could be a very live ball. It's just we learn to call something a failure when it reaches a certain level. So seeing how different that is across my students at the NASDAQ Center, across colleagues at Stanford and in, you know, big tech companies, like everyone's standards for failure are different. And when we kind of get playful around that and you have a second mind in the room to just focus on seeing what you're seeing, I think it can make a bigger impact in unsticking the things that stop, stop the miracles from getting to market. That's really what it's about. 
and making a difference in the lives of real people. And then we have all these failure stories, right? We feel like failures. We're like, oh God, we failed so many times. And I do it too. But it takes 10 years and talking about the failure finally with friends because the shame that shit's dead. When people around you were like, oh my God, are you kidding me? That's amazing. And you're like, oh, I feel so horrible about that. I didn't tell anybody for 10 years. You know, I want people to get to not have to wait the 10 years to share what they've gone through, share what they've learned from real experience, and then continue to either build on it or give it away, give away the learning. And I think coaching and I think the ICF model is so good for that because the number one thing is having a coach who is not there to tell you what to do. And I think that's also really, really a great fit for founders who we don't like being told what to do. Like founders of innovate, we hate that. We hate it. We hate it and we crave it sometimes. So that's why I'm loving the ICF model in the Royal Telos way is that when people come, you get to ask whatever questions and reckon with whatever you are reckoning with, but we will absolutely flip it around and be sure that it is the answers from your wisest self that are guiding the next steps on your path. And then people get to walk away from that knowing that they created the impact. We create the space, right? We hold that container and we're in it with you. So you are not there alone, but we will absolutely reflect back the genius and the wisdom and the expertise that you are bringing to your market and that you are building through being a beginner. And I, I just don't, I don't think there's another modality or way of working with people that hits it in quite that way for people who are really courageous about being on the edge. So good. Oh, you said so much that I just, we just don't even have time for to get into all these other bases. I wanted to ask you, what made you want to um, join the Roar Teller coaching program and what's ended up getting out of it? Integrity. Integrity is so important to me. It's the biggest thing. Uh, It really is the biggest thing. There are so many, so many signposts out there about taking the shortcut, especially also in innovation world, right? Because we want to shave off time. We want to be thoughtful with our resources. There's so many freaking shortcuts in this world and so much advertising for those shortcuts. And at the same time, like when you know, you know, and you know when it's right. And you know, the hard path, sometimes hard path is just the grind. Sometimes hard path is the way through. Um, I love Royal Tells. It's a brand. I love every single person that I have met through this experience because people are out for the real deal. It is not about cutting corners. It is not about doing what you need to on the surface to just make it by. And there is so much influence already for founders about just making it through, stepping it down, you know, just brute forcing it. And putting forward the good faith. Well, in in the meantime, the inside is crumbling. And I think founders are already asked to do that by our whole system, by the the media, by so many different influences. So one thing I loved about Royal Tillos is looking at people who love you, Bonnie, looking at people who Bonnie has coached, speaking about the impact. The impact is from the inside out. And I think that's a very, very transformational thing in a field where the number one rule of thumb is leadership is lonely. That is the number one thing that people say to each other. And I think it is such a tragedy because I do not think that it has to be that way. So Royal Telos is Royal Telos is going at it with integrity from the inside out and is actually espousing a very different belief and a very different future, which is what if it wasn't? 
what if actually leadership was all about profound connection? And what if it started from your inner journey? What if it got to start from uncomfortable, quiet questions, as my colleague Yvette Wu talks about? Like, what would that be like if that was the beginning and then connection got to unfurl at every single level so that ease can be present? Uh, and we really believed it. It wasn't just the marketing materials and we're actually having to maintain these two lives. So that's why I've loved it. And some of the impact I've gotten out, every single coach that you could meet and work with is going to have a different special strength. Like it's just, it's like people's favorite kindergarten teacher. Like it's not a kindergarten teacher situation, but everyone ha- everyone's fairy godmother, everyone's fairy godfather has a different flavor. And I think Royal Tell, like something I've gotten from Royal Telos is that in community, you know, we, we really can build these leadership communities and it, it goes against the grain of that loneliness piece. The, the way that this program brings together people with very clear commitments to the deep work and the real transformation uh, it allows us to do what can be very one-on-one work actually with a team or like almost like even in a call, like a network approach. So it just enriches what every single person is able to bring forward with their clients. And I think that it also really enriches the client experience because unlike, you know, you don't know who, you don't know who is behind the people who are guiding you, you know, and with this, program and with this community, um, I think everybody is really out to see really inspired founders make those transformations in wider society from a really well-rooted place. So kind of like we get to roll deep over here. Uh, and it's really special to have that community of colleagues whose support also backs the work that any, any one of us does with any company or any team or any founder. Oh, good. Thank you for sharing that, Megan. Uh, well, time is coming to a close. Is there anything you want to say? Any last parting thought or word that you have? Parting thought. I think that what is most fresh for me in my work with founders these days is the plight of the recovering overachiever. I think this is like the big storyline of this time where COVID has shaken so much. And we know we want to work differently. We know companies are both disrupted by what's out there and that the format of work is changing. And some of the wisest guidance that I have heard about like what's happening in the future of work is that in this era, people will have more opportunity to dictate the terms on which their work takes place. That's from Rob Siegel at Stanford. Like people just have so much more opportunity than ever before to say, these are the priorities for me, for my life, for my family. This is what I care about. Founders have that opportunity. Directors, people even really high up in big tech face unprecedented opportunity to dictate those terms. But to dictate those terms, you have to discover them. And to discover them in a way that's really going to work for you and the the creative futures you want to bring forward, it really is a matter of of being able to step outside of that overachiever role or that only achiever role and remember who you are underneath the superhero cape. And that can be a grueling process for people who are so committed to making change happen. It's really hard to do. And yet it's very possible. And I just, 
I hope that I hope people can, you know, coaching is still new in a lot of in a lot of people's language. But coaching is a place where instead of just feeling like you are wandering around in a forest or what are my strengths? What can I offer? You get that stuff mirrored back really quickly. And it can be extremely supportive to discovering and then claiming those terms that you want your work to reflect so that your life works so that you can have the world work in a better and a different way. So it is a really good time to be asking these exploratory questions and this spirit for us like overachieving types, like high achievers, high impact. It is, it's just a really powerful time because of the era we live in to be experimenting with how exactly we do want to fit the cape to our activities as they're changing in this way. So, so good, Megan. Oh, love it. Well, that does conclude this time. Uh, if people want to work with Megan, and you already can see she's so brilliant and it's going to be a transformative experience, you can always reach out to us at Red Helen and we can get you connected with her. Thank you so much, Megan, for your time and for joining us today. If you'd like to connect with Megan, you can find her information on the coaches section at royaltellus.com. And if you want to hear more of these episodes, make sure to let us know. Follow us here and on all major platforms. And until next time, may you coach with excellence.